Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. John Pollock, Wei Teng with you. Wednesday night, Thursday morning, whenever you're listening to this, 2019-2039. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. Um, What is the health update? You know what? I I am hesitant to state a definitive defeating of this illness, but I feel like I have gotten through this without going through the worst of it. Really? So, so what yeah. was last we spoke? You had you didn't get coughs yet, but you had it escalated from a sore throat, or was it at a sore throat? I, I'm I'm just gonna detour, and I know that there's so much news and stuff to get to that I love that everyone is gonna have to endure my 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 sick cycle that I'm gonna go through here. But typically, when I get a cold. I go through three stages, and really there's the preemptive stage, which everyone is aware of. It's that you know what's coming. You're starting to get that feeling in your throat. You know that the next day is going to suck, and that's typically what happens. At first, it starts in my throat. My throat is just a mess. Then it will escalate, and then it turns into a full-out cold, and that's awful. That's usually like two days, and then the final stage is a cough. And then it's not as bad as a cold, but it's still there. And it usually takes me like five days to like kick one of these things. So when I felt on Monday night, that was when we did the show and I felt like my throat was getting really bad. And then I thought Tuesday was going to be a disaster. And Tuesday was, I, I could feel not great, but not awful either. I went to work. I did everything. It's no problem. I talked about Heroes of Wrestling for Christ's sake, if that didn't kill me. So like two today, and a half hours. two and a half hours, that was a long show. By the time we were done and I looked at how long we had talked about Randy Rosenblum, I was stunned. But then today it was like, you can probably hear in my voice. It's still, I, I'm still a little bit, uh, have the effects of a cold, but I, I feel, I feel fine. I think I'm going to just rebound from this unless this is just a cruel way that the, uh, the gods are going to play with my illness and tomorrow I'm going to be terrible. So we'll find out. All of us are doing a show in a closed space tomorrow, so <laughs> I, I hope I'm okay tomorrow. If not, um, I will win the Survivor Series because you three will fall. Uh, sir, yeah, I, I would. Ho- I hope you're fine. I hope the worst of it is is gone. And if so, boy, are you a a, a great recoverer? I guess so. Like everything was ready. Like Max got sick over the weekend. And when he gets sick, I just mentally accept that I'm probably getting sick. So I don't know what I've avoided here. Maybe my immune system has just kicked it up a notch, but I don't know how. I'm getting no sleep. Like, my immune system is probably terrible right now, so I shouldn't be able to fight off anything. So this is a mystery to me. Well, let's hope for the best. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, Way, I want to give something away. Do you want to do the same? I think I do. So every Wednesday, we go into our... Long list of cafe members. And if you're joining the Post Wrestling Cafe, boy, you're probably saying, wow, you guys give so much. You give and you give. And on Wednesday night, we give more. Because if you're a cafe member, you're automatically entered in this draw to win. What is tonight's prize, Way? 
Post Wrestling Combo Pack. T-shirt, stickers, postcard, and a coffee sleeve. Wonderful. Well, let's let's dive in. Let us choose our winner. Uh, we are going to go. Uh, this is our version. Maybe we should uh, we should pick two people that will stare, uh, have a match next week, and we'll give away a ring, a post wrestling diamond ring. You want to pay for that? No. Let's just choose one winner and give them the coffee sleeve. Okay. Congratulations. The winner is named. Congratulations to Michael Lafferty. Michael Lafferty out of Hampshire. Hampshire. I believe that is New Hampshire in the UK. No. Oh, okay. You know, like, man, I, 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 I've been, I sent a lot of mail uh, for our, our various like patron, um, you know, perks and like UK addresses confuse the shit out of me. Cause it's like, it's, I don't know how things are divided, but like, it it's it's like the name of the street, of course. Then the name of the town. There's like a district name attached to it. I don't I don't know if there are like states or provinces attached, but it's usually like five things I need to write down. And and what what's worse is that like sometimes I go to Google just to confirm these addresses, and you you always find something different than what what people list. So somebody wants to explain the the British ma- uh, post post system to me. That would be wonderful. But um. Thus far, I guess we haven't had too many issues. So anyway, congratulations to Michael Lafferty from Hampshire. Yeah, thanks a lot, Michael. You've really gave uh, given away some uh, some problems <laughs> to have to send this all across the ocean to you. Maybe maybe Way will just um, send this by uh, carrier pigeon. Probably be way more expensive and way slower. And you'd probably lose it, to be honest, if you strapped a T-shirt and a coffee sleeve to a pigeon. You know what you need to watch? You need to watch the last five minutes of last week tonight from Sunday with John Oliver. Okay. Why? It's the it's his final episode of the year. And all you need is the last five minutes. I think you'd love it. Well, I think you really need to watch the newest season of Terrace House. Uh, late this What last is going episode. on with, uh, with our favorite uh, contestants? So this last episode, which uh, is at the moment only on Japanese Netflix, but I believe all these episodes will be on American Netflix starting in December 24th. Anyway. Um, I'll give a bit, a bit of a teaser. So Han- Hanakamura is a is from Stardom is a uh, house housemate this this season, and her latest adventure. I mean, there's this basketball player who she really likes. So, um, it she eventually worked up the courage, well, to try to ask this basketball player out, but like it was the type of like asking out that was like so obvious, yet she was so nervous she couldn't get the words out. A basketball player eventually had to do it for her. So, uh. so anyway, so the basketball player asked her out, and then they had, you know, he asked her out to like this onsen, which is like a like a spa. And then she said, "If I win my tournament tomorrow, then I'll agree to go on the date with you." And the tournament happens to be the Stardom's five star Grand Prix. And so we see oh. the, we see the entire cast at Corcoon Hall as they're watching this match. Oh my it's God. it's great. It's it's just awesome. <laughs> This is so good. It is the best uh, like build up to a tournament final ever. Will she go on the date? You definitely made the right choice moving over from Total Divas and just following this. Uh, people are way more interested in Terrace House and your reports. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, we got a bunch of news to get into. Uh, it was a it was a wild day. Uh, I don't know where we should start. Uh, any particular story that uh, 
was top of mind for you today, Way? I think the biggest thing on everybody's mind since we've last spoken was is the probably the whole Jim Cornette and WA Power stuff. Well, let's start there. So, so Tuesday, it was interesting. I I usually watch NWA Power on like Tuesday night. I usually have like an hour gap in my schedule where I can come down and I watch it and then quickly type something up. And I came downstairs at around just after seven and I went to go watch it and it's not there and I'm searching for it. And then I find out it's it's a private video. And I, I didn't think anything of it. I just assumed that, um, okay, maybe there was just some problem with getting it posted immediately. Maybe I'm earlier than usual. It's just not gone up yet. So I just left and I just didn't think about it. And then I got a text message from a friend of mine who was asking me uh, what happened on the NWA Power episode. And the person actually guessed what might have happened. And they were pretty much dead on because then I had to like look into what had happened here. And what we got was uh, a comment made by Jim Cornette that made its way onto the show which it is worth noting this is a this this was done September 30th and October 1st were the taping so all the commentary was done then and Cornette made a comment during the match between Nick Aldis and Trevor Murdoch and the line was Trevor Murdoch is mad bad and dangerous to know he's the only man that I've ever known that can strap a bucket of fried chicken around his back and ride a motor scooter across Ethiopia. And this got a lot of backlash immediately after it ran to the point that they pulled down the episode. Uh, NWA Vice President David Lagana issued an apology, and then later in the night, the episode was put back up with the line in question muted out. So that is how things went. And then on Wednesday... Uh, Cornette had not spoken up about any of this, but then this morning it was announced that effective immediately, Jim Cornette has resigned from the NWA as an announcer on the November 19th edition of NWA Power. Jim made remarks during a singles match between Nick Aldis and Trevor Murdoch that were both offensive and do not meet the high standards of decency and good faith of the NWA. To ensure that such an error can never happen again, we've established new procedures of review for all NWA programming going forward. We sincerely regret our failure in this regard. And Cornette has um, probably not taken this news well and is indicating that he will have a rebuttal to this on his podcast this week. Um, mm. I, I think that there is uh, a lot of criticism that can be uh, sent out on this one. I, I think it was it was an offensive remark to be utilized uh, to be used, period. Uh, the fact that it made it onto the broadcast is both uh, puzzling as well. So I think there is blame to go around here absolutely yeah uh i mean man jim Cor- it's it's amazing how often this dude is in the news like it feels like there's something going on with him every week and i wonder if this I mean, this probably won't be the last of it but this well i i would say that you know this the decision to to cut ties with jim Cornette, it's it wasn't about the last controversy. It wasn't about this controversy. It was about the next controversy, which sure. there will be one. They've oh, already yeah. had to issue a statement about him. You know, you understand, like, this is not, we're, we're just caught with our pants down. When you get, when you hire Jim Cornette, you are getting the good, which he's a phenomenal commentator. He's, he's great. But he's coming with all the baggage that Jim Cornette brings in 2019. 
So when he's making suicide jokes and you have to issue a statement or he's making other comments, you know what you're get, getting into. And that's mm-hmm. that's just the deal that you know about. And I'm sure that had this been a guy that's had a completely clean track record, um, would they have tried to uh, bite the bullet and get through this with Cornette? Maybe. But I think it was probably – we know this is not going to be the last time that there's an issue here. And mm-hmm. let's just move on. As a fan of NWA Power, as a fan of Jim Cornette's commentary, I'm really disappointed by it. Uh, but at the same time, this is not the first instance that I think Jim Cornette has um, embarrassed himself and thereby embarrassing anybody associated with him. I believe MLW in the past has had to issue similar statements. Um, and especially in the case of NWA, who man, it's a very small group of people who have been working really hard to try to get this thing off the ground. And they've they've been doing tremendous. Like, they've struck gold here uh, with this show for many weeks. And unfortunately, this instance, giving them their biggest amount of press yet and such negative press, totally, to me, derails a lot of the goodwill that they built up up until this point. And, and could be very critical for them that, you know, if... If WWE happened to have this issue, it's like, okay, it's it's some bad PR. They move on. For NWA, they very much, like, this is not a sustainable model. They need to find uh, a larger partner, a larger platform. And if you're someone that's doing your due diligence and looking at getting into business with the NWA and you Google this, um, yeah. I, I think that this was probably their only option that they had that yep. – they had to cut ties immediately and distance them, themselves from this. But I, I still feel like they're like this never should have aired. This never should have aired. No, not at all. Um, I think it really calls into question maybe the production process. From what we hear, it's a very small crew of, I you know, beyond David Lagana, I really wonder how many people even sit down to watch these things. But you have to certainly be very careful, especially when you're representing a brand new company. And, you know, Jim Cornette. This comment, it, he's made it many it, several times in the past in professional wrestling throughout the decades. Uh, this particular joke itself, but, but you you know when it was made, like in the eighties, okay, perhaps bad taste, no matter what. But all of wrestling was in bad taste, so I suppose you can excuse it. I I think the idea that he considered this, even in in his mind, it meant. You know, no, there were no racial connotations in his mind whatsoever. The fact that he didn't realize that it could be perceived that way makes him unqualified for this job, in my opinion. It's it's just like it's the standards of the day. And yes, you're going to have your audience out there that just thinks that this is, you know, the PC police gone mad. It's the, it's fucking just normal decency. You know what I mean? Like there's there's way too long a history of stuff that's just just accept it as that's just pro wrestling. It's like pro wrestling is a pretty shitty image. You know what I mean? To the outside world. And I think that this is a a point in the entire culture where we're generally trying to be better people. And it's, it's just like not defending stuff like this, that it's really impossible to defend. So I, I think that it would just simply be, you know, instead of having this, this whole war of what can and can't be said, like just, basic, decent common sense that goes a lot further. I mean, you know, common sense is subjective to to certain people, but I think from all, 
from from everything I think we've heard in, in the public from Jim Cornette, I, I certainly feel like his level of common sense of what he considers to be maybe, um, you know, moral or, or decent probably isn't in line with what the NWA wants to represent. And certainly not what a lot of, a lot of wrestling fans deem, um, I guess, satisfactory either. So, um, yeah, that's the latest. I, I haven't even seen the, this week's ed- edition of, of Power, but that's certainly going to be, uh, you know, the biggest thing related to that program this week is going to be discussing this. And ultimately, who replaces Jim Cornette for the upcoming pay-per-view and tapings that they have uh, coming up next month? Yeah, I mean, it's a great spot for somebody to, you know, jump onto this brand new show that's been getting a lot of steam. And I think it's a great opportunity for whoever's out there who thinks they could provide a great voice attached to it. I hope they, they have a a really good candidate and uh, I hope, you know, this show continues to get over this and, and produce, you know, a really quality different type of wrestling show that I think the industry kind of needs. Yeah. And I think just, you know, things that, uh, you know, may may have flown at at another time or not even uh, necessarily accepted, but just don't, don't get challenged. And, you know, I, I brought it up when we reviewed Raw a few weeks ago, you know, like Jerry Lawler referring to Umberto Carrillo as a jumping bean, like that kind of stuff. Just it's we've got to move on from that stuff. It's just it's yeah. it's offensive. It's offensive. And it's being said by people who don't know that it's offensive. And that doesn't make it right, of course. In fact, that's I think when you need to tell somebody that, hey, like this probably shouldn't have been said years ago, much less right now when, when times are different. And I think that's us evolving as a people because more people are having a voice uh, so that their perspectives can be heard. So anyway, and that's, and I'll always come down on that side of speaking to someone. And if no harm was intended, um, I'm not someone that's just, okay, you, you screwed up. You must disappear now. I think it's, I, I would much rather that as a collective, it's, Speaking to people, explaining why this could be construed as offensive and them understanding that and hopefully realizing that. And if they cannot understand that, well, then there is a philosophical difference between the product that I want to be promoting with you attached to it. Right. In this instance, though, do you think it's because it's not the first instance of Jim Cornette? I'm I'm speaking more just generally. Specific to Jim Cornette, I think that this was inevitable that the nwa listen they've had to issue now two statements in the span of three weeks regarding jim Cornette. is, is there is there going to be a, a massive change would you be willing way to to bank on the fact that over the next six months there will be nothing that is typed by jim Cornette or comes out of his mouth that is going to make the nwa uh embarrassed uh certainly not i mean as long as people are paying attention I feel like he's probably saying this stuff all the time anyway, but people are paying more attention to him now, whether it be because of the podcast or because of his persona on Twitter um, and, you know, his success on this show, really. Uh, so I I wonder how this affects him after this, because will he run with it? Will he, you know, issue an apology? Uh, we'll see. Moving on from that story, we go on to uh, CM Punk was on WWE backstage. Did, did you get to see any of the episode, uh, specifically the interview he did with Renee? I did. Yeah, I watched the show. So what did you think about how Punk came off on his first official episode as an analyst? And um, 
The, the, the interview, it was kind of just like a, a broad look at things. I guess the, the takeaway was that he's not saying no to never wrestling again in WWE, but a lot uh, a lot is going to be needed to mend that fence. Uh, certainly, yeah. I mean, they they were talking about it so much that, I mean, I don't... I don't really know how to feel about it. Like, I, I would say, judging by everything that's taken place so far, I feel like Punk has been truthful. You know, us talking about the StarCast panel during um Double or, or was it, during All Out? Yeah. I, I feel like everything he said back then seemed did not seem like it was a lie. Like, he was negotiating with Fox and ended up getting the deal. So, I don't doubt that, you know, him saying that he he he's uh not... In, or he is potentially interested, but fences have to be mended. I, I believe those words. So they were certainly trying to hint at it a lot or trying to push him towards an answer really hard on the, on the show. As far as the, the show itself, I thought he provided a, a real... He felt like the only real person talking amongst like a group of robots. And I don't even really mean to slight them that much because I think Renee Young is tremendous at her job. Like... For somebody who has to play a robot, she does it with a lot more personality than I think a lot of people can. Um, but the rest of the panel, like when Paige was like, you know, Punk like immediately like um, talked about how he didn't like Baron Corbin and the Roman Reigns like dog barking promo. And Paige almost looked like she was afraid to criticize it. And when she finally did, she said, Punk's a bad influence on me or something to that effect. Like, I mean, if. To me, if that's not an indication... It's kind of just an indictment of the program. If, like, if that's the mindset of the panelists that you have there, like, yeah. they're, they're pretty much just confirming all the preconceived notions of this show um, yeah. that these people are going to be biting their tongue to say anything that steps out of line. And I think, I hope that, you know, to me, this was like the... I saw the first episode, I think, when, when they were doing a pilot, and this was really the only second episode. And I found it somewhat palatable. A bit more palatable, palatable than the previous ones, where they just otherwise these just kind of feel like, like just like a really fake talk show. But um, I think Punk feels like a, a, a an, an authentic voice that'll hopefully you know allow the rest of the group to feel like they can really speak what's on their minds uh, at the same time. As far as analysis, I mean, he admits that he hasn't really watched any wrestling in the past six years, so he's still having to catch up. Um, I just hope, like, what what does that consist of? Is he going back and watching Raws and pay-per-views? Like, how do you catch sure. up on six years of WWE? A lot of YouTube highlights, perhaps. He's probably not watching all three hours. Um, I, I'm not I'm not sure, but um, I don't think we really got that much of it. The way these shows are structured is, like, they're so, like, you know, beat, beat, beat. Like, oh, you do you have two words, two sentences to say about this one thing? Oh, we now throw to Booker T about this other topic. Do you have two sentences to say? So you're not going to get, like, anything, like... I would say that extended or, or that deep, but I think it does offer a form for, let's say if there's something really bad that takes place in the WWE for, for CM Punk to, to open up. I mean, I feel like that too, though, will have its limitations. Cause like there's, there's not, topics they're not going to touch. Yeah. They're show. not going to talk about Jordan miles. They're not going to talk about like, you know, Saudi Arabia. It, it, it feels like most of the criticism will be kept towards like, you know, storyline. Um, and then, you know, doing I mean, the, even the even like the the Randy Orton, Tony Khan stuff from the night prior, it's like they're they're not going near that stuff, even though it was punk that started all of that. Like that was a natural subject to go into. Um, but, you know, they're not going to go through the contents of Orton's tweets and Tony Khan's response. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 a lot of that coupled with like these. 
I think variety show type of segments where like at one point David Arquette showed up and tried to cut a promo challenge on Booker T and then you had like the people like punk judging or, or the panelists judging and then you had CM Punk uh being called upon to cut a promo on Tom Arnold because Tom Arnold tweeted about him so it's segments like that I think for people that are fans of CM Punk you who just want to see him talking about wrestling this will be satisfying um is it going to be appointment viewing? I feel like it'll be more like day after Twitter clip viewing for me. Yeah, the show did 180,000 viewers and a lot less than I, I expected. Yeah, I, I thought I, in my mind, I thought this would be like 250 in that range, um, which again, it's like to say that CM Punk coming back to a WWE affiliated program uh, that was going to do 180,000 viewers, and in this setting, um, this would have been. It just seems like this. Yeah, this uh, I I don't see his. Uh, did they announce at the end if he would be back next week, or is it just? Don't unknown? believe so. I don't believe so. So, yeah, like I'm sure his episodes will see little little spikes like week to week from the the normal episodes, but I don't know. Like I I didn't watch the entire episode. I just watched the interview, and I did see the promo portion. And if, if it's the, just the, it, like it, it, you, you said it like he just feels like he's a fish out of water in this environment. I'm not dying to see him in this kind of environment. And it just seems that it's um, I guess for some people it's a hook, but obviously like not a ton of people like for FS1, like maybe that's a satisfying number for them Tuesday night at 11 p.m. But it's I don't know. It's it's considering I, th- I think it was like a one week kind of uh, curiosity. And, and I, that's why I feel the number was kind of disappointing, you know, considering the level of talk uh, online about it on shows like ours and also just, you know, on Twitter uh, and seeing the reaction to that initial announcement and the promotion on Raw. I, I thought that number would be a lot higher. And I, I you know, I it, if the number was was maybe at this level and they didn't promote it on Raw, we can maybe cite that as part of the reason. Oh, well, of course, nobody knew about it. But they promoted this thing on Raw, like, multiple times throughout Monday's episode. So, I don't know if people just don't really care or they don't, you know, um, want to sit down in particular, like, on a, on a Tuesday night just to watch this when they know some of these clips will be spread anyway. Uh, or maybe just, I don't know, people just don't care. But, um, oops, sorry, do, do you think this affects, is this an indicator of what CM Punk means or is this a different type of um i think metric because it's not a wrestling program um i think it's a program people are ultimately not that interested in and that was that was painfully obvious with the the first week's number and i think that people are intrigued to see punk but not in this kind of studio environment i think that there would be an enormous interest for him to be on wwe proper but it's i i just don't think that I don't think there was a whole lot of faith that you were even going to get, um, like the unfiltered CM Punk that they were pushing. Like you knew, tuning into this, you weren't getting a uh, art of wrestling kind of interview from CM Punk. You were going to get eleven minutes, and it was going to be it was what it was. Like the guy's honest, but it's not going to be um, covering all of the ground that maybe you would assume has been or has realistically it has been covered. Like those fans out there know what what the story is, but. Um, I don't know. Do, do you think it's it it speaks to maybe that the 
interest level of seeing CM Punk come back? Um, is it several years past where people were really at a, a fever pitch to see this guy? I'm, I think if he were to return to a wrestling promotion, I, I feel like, I think my expectations might be a little bit lessened. Like I don't, I don't necessarily see punk returning to raw or SmackDown or bringing us, bringing us back to like, you know, year numbers from uh, like a decade ago. Um, I think he, but I, I do feel like this is different because this is just a talk show. And ultimately I don't know how much interest there really, there really can be for something like this, as opposed to seeing him cut promos in ring and wrestling. Yeah, I, I do think there would be enormous interest for him to come back for a match and be on the actual show. But we'll see if this persists. But yeah, it was uh, not a home run number either. Uh, Total Divas, though, did 295,000 viewers on Tuesday night, which is their best number this season. And it was the episode built around Jim Neidhart going into the Hall of Fame and WrestleMania weekend. So it uh, looks like Total Divas at least increased a bit. So maybe maybe that was enough for people on Tuesday night. That was their fill. They go head to head, right? Is it Total Divas. Yeah, backstage is at eleven. Oh, okay, okay. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, Triple H, Paul Levesque did a conference call with members of the media ahead of uh, Takeover on Saturday, and some of the notes uh, from uh, Andrew Thompson's update today. He had noted that uh, Johnny Gargano's injury is described as day-to-day, and they're hopeful that it, he will be back relatively soon, but is going to miss uh, TakeOver. Um, when going over the the different ideas over the recent weeks, uh, one of Levesque's ideas was the suggestion to use Imperium on Raw a couple of weeks back. He had also mentioned that the final member of Team Ciampa at War Games is going to be announced the day of, and was kind of promoting that like it would be a, a big reveal who the final member of Team Ciampa would be. And he is very negative on the idea of him being uh, wrestling on NXT. He wants to give everyone else the the spotlight. And he was seemed very negative to the idea of him wrestling on NXT himself. Uh, when asked about talents that want their releases, uh, he was not understanding why some are doing it publicly and suggest those come and talk to management and not do it uh, by going to the media or going on social media and isolated uh, one person, uh, the direct opposite of Adam Cole, who's a total professional and really was high on Adam Cole. They mentioned that um, Adam Cole, Brock Lesnar and the fiend uh, was one of the ideas for survivor series, but they ultimately went with the Brock Lesnar, Rey Mysterio match, which, um, I think looking at it, that, I think they absolutely made the right choice to go with Brock and Ray as opposed to that three-way. Absolutely. Because why would you put yourselves in a position where one of your champions of your brains could lose? It's it's a hard match to book for that very reason. I don't think you want to beat anyone uh, of those three. And, you know, uh, of the three that would have some, some say-so – if you're Brock Lesnar, I think that, you know, you look at what you have with Ray, and I think you would want to push that that forward. Like, that was a story that you could see when this started. It was all about Cain Velasquez, and you could see the the natu- the organic rise of Ray Mysterio that you really had something here. And I, I think that this was the, the right call to make the change and go with Brock and Ray. It's simply a more attractive matchup, you know, yep. when you have a story attached to it, especially a good story, than even seeing champion versus champion versus champion, which to me in a wrestling sense means nothing because 
it, it's it's the match I'm most looking forward to on Sunday. Yeah. Um, so those are the notes from uh, Paul Levesque. Uh, and the final thing here, just looking at the raw numbers from Monday night, they did 2,127,000 viewers, third lowest of the year. Uh, they were down 3% from last week. They were going against a uh, lesser viewed Monday night football game than last week, which was the top uh, the most watched Monday night game of the season. Uh, they started really low, 2,245,000 viewers, which was the lowest opening hour of the year. So think about that. Less people tuned in for the first hour of Raw this week than last week for the three-day tape-delayed episode of Raw. Interesting. Was there competition? I mean, you had you had your football, but it was not to the extent of last week's. Mm, wow. I think... I think there was just less interest this week in Raw. Um, so the the show did decrease during the uh, during the show. Um, the big tune out, uh, the most females twelve to thirty four from the first to third hour twenty one percent drop from the first to third hour. So um, if you just look week to week, it wasn't uh, any big drops, but within the body of the show, that's where you could see a lot of people tuning out, and it started at a low figure and continued to slide in the third hour. So, um, you know, not, not a highly watched episode of raw leading into the survivor series. So something like that, you know, that drop in females, uh, 21% throughout the hours. Like, is that something you see being remedied at all? Is it even a problem or is it like, are these just kind of weekly? I don't know. I mean, you look, you look at, I mean, you look at the like the other ones too. Like, there's uh, there was an 18 percent drop among females 18 to 49, 17 percent among people 18 to 49. Like, you had, I, I think it's just the third hour. It's a killer. I think that this third hour, I don't know what you could put in that third hour that's going to hold on to people. I think for the most part, when you look at these patterns for Raw, you get people that typically Monday night they will tune in for Raw and. For the most part, you'll be able to hold them for two hours. Like the drop from hour one to hour two was minuscule, but then there was a huge drop in the third hour. And I think that's most people's tap out point. They are not sticking around for that that third hour. And that's when the a good percentage of people I, I think it's just it's that third hour. It's it's mm. really tough. And this is this can be a long show as well. When what were we even promoting for the end? It was Randy Orton and a mystery partner against the Viking Raiders. That is not going to hold a lot of people. Most weeks, it doesn't even feel like they the the main event is really the biggest thing on the show. Yeah, and I don't even disagree with the idea that, like, I think the third hour is just such a turnoff for people that your biggest thing on the show don't waste it in the third hour. Put it at the at the crossover from eight to nine or nine to ten. Um, because I just think, regardless, you're going to have those big drops in the third hour and you could put something big on at the end and it's just going to be less people see it. So do you think there's even any concern when they see, you know, numbers like this? Um, I, I think anytime you're doing um, your third lowest number of the year, it's not a, a strong positive. Um, I think that it's, it's ultimately, you know, we, we've seen weeks where, it fluctuates based based on football. I think that the football game still was big by the, the standards of this season. So that is a factor. And I, I think that overall, you're just looking for trends of are we 
are we attracting people or are we turning people off? And I would be hesitant to just write that off as, well, it's inevitable that we're going to lose all of these people. But um, yeah, it's like you're, you're getting to like the low two millions at this point. Like there will come a Monday where Raw is going to do below two million viewers. I don't know when it will be, but we're get we're getting to that point now where you know 2.1 million people going into Survivor Series where you've got the tease of talent from other rosters showing up. Um, that is not enough, and this is the roster that you have to deal with. So, um, you know, you've got football till the end of, uh, well, into January, and then maybe things will subside a little bit. Hmm. But it's just, uh, you know, this is kind of the, the state of where Raw is at at this point. Uh, you can go on over to postwrestling.com for all your latest uh, news and notes and now we will get into Dynamite. Did you Have you seen any of NXT or nothing yet? Nothing yet. All right. So Dynamite on Wednesday from the Indiana Farmers Coliseum in Indianapolis, Indiana. They kicked off immediately with Nick Jackson and Ray Phoenix. And NXT was countering this with Becky Lynch coming out to start NXT. And Phoenix and Nick begins with this, first of all, huge reaction for Nick Jackson they do this stalemate on the floor where each are blocking the other's moves and then it ends with each going for a drop kick inside the ring and the crowd is just getting into all of this of the two trying to top one another and neither can catch the other. Uh, there's a double springboard dive that misses by Nick and then gets hit with a rolling cutter from Phoenix who then proceeded with a leaping swanton into the ring. Uh, he did the tightrope walk but missed with the kick and... There was a point in this match where Excalibur pointed out that Nick briefly hesitated and looked to his corner, but had to remind himself that he doesn't have Matt in his corner. And they were playing up that this was Nick's first singles match in four and a half years since the best of the Super Juniors in 2015, uh, without naming that tournament. Phoenix uh, super kicked the injured right shin. Nick later hit a super Rana from the top rope as Phoenix was standing on the middle rope, and then they exchanged big super kicks. Both men are down. There's a Rana that sends Nick off the apron and another rolling cutter for a near fall. Nick hit a German onto the edge of the apron. And then we get a slingshot destroyer from Nick for a two count. Turns right into the sharpshooter. Phoenix gets to the rope. And as Nick lifts him for a pile driver, it's countered with a roll up, step up spin kick, and then the spinning muscle buster by Phoenix for the win in 11 minutes, 57 seconds. I thought this match was awesome. A great match. Yeah. I sensed really high expectations for this one, which, I mean, I found pretty interesting in of itself because singles matches between two tag team wrestlers often feel like they're a lesser substitute for the real thing. But here, this felt like it was a heavily anticipated fe feature. And I, I guess the knowledge that Nick, Nick Jackson hadn't wrestled a singles match in such a long time, uh, yet, you know, has gained so much, I don't know, success as a single star does make this a rare instance where it feels like a singles match between two tag team wrestlers is, can be bigger than, you know, another rematch, let's say between the Bucks and, and the Lucha brothers. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, it perfectly lived up to those very high expectations, great agility, great timing from both men. Uh, I think Phoenix was just a perfect matchup here for him who really feels like Nick Jackson's counterpart in the Lucha brothers. So I thought it was a great showcase for both of their very unique talents and I'd love to see it again. Uh, it was just, I, I thought the chemistry was fantastic. Uh, the expectations were high, but I, I thought this totally delivered. I really enjoyed this. This uh, great start to the show. Um, afterwards, Nick offered his hand, but Phoenix rejected the handshake. 
So he walked off. Britt Baker versus Hikaru Shida immediately followed that, and Baker scissors the arms and goes for the lockjaw early, and Shida is able to avoid that. They went through the commercial, and when we came back, Baker's nose had been busted, and uh, she continued to work the whole match, but was bleeding from her nose. So hopefully it's not a serious injury or anything, but I missed where this even occurred. It was during the picture-in-picture, picture, so it was hard to see. Right. Uh, Sheeta hit these big strikes in the corner during the break and then kneed her in the rib, so maybe it was one of those strikes that connected in the corner. Uh, Sheeta then grabbed a chair, and uh, and uh, Aubrey Edwards stopped her from using the chair. It was placed down onto the floor, so Sheeta then uh, jumped off of the chair with a flying knee, uh, nailing Baker, and Baker eventually fought her off by snapping the arm on the top rope and hit a draping DDT, and the announcers are playing up that Baker's breathing might be affected by the nose injury. There was a fireman's carry into a backbreaker by Sheeta for a two-count, running knee to the face, and then got reversed into the lockjaw setup, but Sheeta gets to the rope. Uh, there's a poke in the eyes, inside cradle for two by Sheeta, and then hits her falcon arrow, and again, Baker kicks out of that, and then one final running knee strike wins it for Hikaru Sheeta at 9 minutes, 53 seconds. We should also mention this was a matchup between uh, number two ranked and number one ranked, so this essentially put Sheeta into the number one contender's position. Uh, I thought a really good match from these two. I was a big fan. I thought this was among Baker's best matches thus far in AEW, and a tremendous showcase for Sheeta, who looked... Very deserving of a title match after this. Uh, or like, you know, that that type of spotlight is what I mean. I, I think, you know, Baker showed great pace, great urgency in, in the closing moments here. I really liked the look of Sheeta's running knee. And I sp- especially loved, like, you know, in, in the last moments where everybody's hitting their big moves, she threw out an eye poke into a small package, which I thought worked out so, so well. The crowd I didn't find were very hot for this whole thing, but I thought these two did well in spite of that. Yeah, I, I really thought Sheeta uh, looked great here. Um, and Baker, yeah, it was a good performance by both women. And yeah, I think this uh, moves Sheeta towards uh, a match with, with Riho and yeah, really established her getting a solid win over Britt Baker. I don't know if they, I don't think they announced this for next week. I don't know when this match might happen, but I really do hope that they start addressing some of the concerns of like the lack of presence of a lot of these uh, 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 wrestlers in the women's division, in particular, somebody like Riho, who, we haven't heard from at all since the pay-per-view other than, you know, being in the background of like Kenny Omega sketches, like she's your champion. You've had plenty of time to like, you know, give us some type of uh, extra interview of some type of real storyline that we can latch onto between these two, uh, you know, beyond just the in-ring and the same goes for Sheeta. So I, we don't know anything about her. We don't know anything about how, who she is, how she grew up or she, where she trained, where she's from. Uh, so I hope they can address some of these before we get to the match itself. Well, what we did have time for was the latest or newest version of Dark Order. So we see this man in a subway drop his glasses and these two guys stomp on his glasses and walk off laughing. And he takes the broken glasses into the subway and he is entranced by a motivational video that's playing on the subway where the man in the video is instructing them to... You must lose yourself so you can find yourself. There is strength in numbers. Stop living in chaos and live in order. And it's showing all of these friends hanging out together and how you can fit in with a group that you've always wanted. Join the dark order. 
which was said in a very demonic uh, tone, we will find you. So I think we have moved the Dark Order. They have now uh, morphed from the Creepers. We are learning they're all part of the Church of Scientology. Yeah, essentially some type of like new age cult type of thing for people who are frustrated with with life. Um, you know, certainly <laughs> a re- certainly a retooling of like this gimmick was very much in in uh, in order. No pun intended. Um, and I think this is an improvement. You know, we 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 haven't really seen the full extent of it yet, of course. But I think the first steps are like to make them a bit more relatable um, to like real life. I I I like this. I thought the video itself maybe a little too over the top cheesy. You know, a man walking in the in the subway it gets his glasses smashed on by like, I mean, I don't know. It felt it felt really high school to me. But again, it's an improvement. I think anything beyond what we had so far is an, is a slow improvement. I kind of like the addition of the spokesperson. You know, I thought he was pretty interesting, and I feel like he might even benefit the team in a in a live setting if you know he came out and did the talking for. Uh, Dark Order wasn't a home run, I thought, but I think a, a, a slow improvement over what we had. I am uh, the jury is out for me if this is an improvement or not. We'll we'll see. I I thought this was um, well, I I will give the gimmick some chance uh, or an opportunity to to win me over. We'll see. The Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal followed that. Our participants are Hangman Page, Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, Kip Sabian, Jimmy Havoc, Jungle Boy, Marco Stunt, Pentagon Jr., Sonny Kiss, Joey Janela, MJF, and Billy Gunn. Yeah, that was a surprise. Are you surprised that he kept the name? I guess, Um, did he wrestle as Billy Gunn in New Japan? He was, I feel he was. Yeah, he did the the Tanahashi match. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, someone that we assume is Ray Phoenix runs down into Pentagon's corner, but with the close-ups, it's easily easy to tell who this is. Uh, Pentagon does not realize that it is not Phoenix, and the person unmasks to reveal Christopher Daniels distracting Pentagon, and Chuck Taylor throws out Pentagon in seconds uh, to continue that program. I thought this was I thought this was so stupid. Like, <laughs> who else could? I, okay, I can understand somebody like sitting in the very back row, not being able to tell that this might not actually be Phoenix. But if you're this dude's brother, and he's standing right next to you, and you you can't tell your own brother apart from you know bald white guy wearing your brother's mask, that was too much for me to to accept. I thought this was a it was pretty st- obvious when they did the elimination. In. Well, um, yeah, it was uh. Not something you really remembered by the end of this. Um, Sonny Kiss started twerking for Billy Gunn, and then MJF cut off Sonny Kiss and threw him out. And this was MJF's deal. When anyone would do their spot, he would cut it off and throw them out. Yep. Yep. Just putting everything on him. Yeah. Everyone ganged up on Billy Gunn, and then he did the big Power Man spot, throwing, like, all the guys off. They Um, gave Billy Gunn. The mo- the monster spot here. Like, he had the Braun Strowman, you know, uh, Kevin Nash, like, big giant spot. And I, I thought it looked pretty goofy. Well, especially the fact that it, it's a re- semi-retired agent in the back who's doing all this. I mean, I understand visually. the co- it, it, was, it was also, like, some, like, there there was a lot of comedy guys in here. I can get that. But there were also some, like, Hangman Page had to do this. You know what I mean? He eliminated Jimmy Havoc. 
you know, uh, like who's not portrayed as a joke by any means. He eliminated Marco Stunt, who I think has a lot more upside to me than being eliminated by a, a, a semi-retired agent. I, I just, I understand visually he does look like a giant amongst this crowd. I, I just cannot understand though why, why you would give the retiree this much, like the celebrity cameo this much. You know, in a rumble, you would never see. Oh, geez, I'm trying to think. I, I like, think, and this is me purely guessing, but based on how this ended, I think they wanted to make Billy Gunn semi credible because they're going to feed him to Wardlow. And I think that's the thinking of rather than just him coming in and just killing someone who means nothing, we'll give Billy Gunn something so it's not perceived as a straight up squash that it's ultimately going to be. That's my best defense. Is that worth sacrificing? I guess like putting him above in the pecking order of somebody like Jimmy Havoc or Marco Stunt. Um, the argument would be that you're 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 building him above those guys, so it means more when Wardlow beats this guy. I, I guess they're really low on and, talent, and they view Jimmy Havoc and Marco Stunt as expendable here. I suppose they, they just must be really low on talent because I could come up with like five guys who I think might be in a better position than than Billy Gunn, but. You know, he looked great, though. Billy Garner, like, looks in great shape. So, yeah, maybe he could prove me wrong. Maybe that would be a perfectly great match. Jimmy Havoc ran back in with the staple gun and attacked everyone with it. Uh, during the commercial break, Joey Janela got eliminated when Sean Spears appeared with a chair. Uh, Spears was not in the match, so Janela got uh, thrown out there. It seems like like there was no interaction here with Janela and Kip Sabian that it makes you wonder that they're just going a different direction and staying with Spears and Janela. I Like, they're not... Referencing that, there was the tease at the pay-per-view, but that was it. Yeah, yeah, no no mention of that at all. Um, it's been several weeks now that they haven't really picked it up. But, I, I mean, even at the time, it, it was such a subtle reference. I mean, it was that, that was before it did the line. Like, that, it was clearly an idea. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. But Maybe um, Penelope Ford's going to get a restraining order. Uh, 90 feet or 90 miles. Both. Okay. I guess. Yeah, I mean, they could just be delaying it, you know, for another time. Uh, Billy Gunn and Orange Cassidy did a spot, and everyone went nuts for Cassidy. He did the weak kicks, and then as he set up for a super kick, MJF threw him out. Tons of heat for MJF on that. Then Billy Gunn did the suck it and famous her onto MJF when Wardlow came down. There was an eye poke to Billy Gunn, and then he took the buckshot lariat, and Hangman Page threw out Billy Gunn. So. MJF crawls to the floor, and we're left with Hangman Page, Kip Sabian, uh, Chuck Taylor, and Jungle Boy. And they're saying that there's only four left. It was so obvious what they were doing here. This is uh, this has become way too much of a cliche battle royal spot. And didn't MJF just do it at, he, at their last, um, their first battle royal? Uh, at the Casino Battle Royale, I think so. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm having did. a hard time remembering. Um, so Penelope Ford holds on to Chuck Taylor, allowing Sabian to knock him out. Jungle Boy then hits a flying Rana that sends Sabian out. And Jungle Boy stares at Hangman Page. They're saying that these are the final two when MJF shows up from behind, yanks Jungle Boy off the apron, and MJF is going to face Hangman Page next week for the Diamond Ring. Yes. In the end, I, I, I think this became you know a pretty entertaining way of building to a big singles match for next week between MJF and Page. But I think AEW still continues to show that 
it has issues promoting and booking these battle royals. To me, there were a bunch of eliminations that bothered me where they either felt not very well thought out or or just, I don't know, poorly executed or just, uh, I don't know, kind of just dumb. Beginning with like Daniels dressing up as Phoenix and Penta not knowing what his own brother looks like. Um, I, I, I understand what you're suggesting with Billy Gunn. I just, I, I just don't think AEW should be portraying Billy Gunn in 2019 as a monster, even if it is just a feed to Wardlow. Um, I also thought it was strange how it was Paige, who is your babyface coming out of this match, being the one to eliminate Gunn, resulting in him getting a heel reaction. That plus like the very cliched MJF hiding in the ring only to come back out. To me, it was just like, it felt like a really amateur attempt at booking another one of these battle royals. Yeah, it's it, they're kind of like keeping Hangman Page in this this gray area at the moment. They they did the angle on being the elite where he's kind of taking himself out of the group for now while he's on this losing skid. And, you know, yeah, that, that was a heel spot tonight. Next week, he is going to be the overwhelming babyface against MJF. So which suggests um, to me that that wasn't necessarily there to get him heat. Mm-hmm. Like it's I know that the, I guess you ran out of guys in the ring. But, like, it, they're not going with the heel turn just yet. Yeah, and I think that this whole elite falling apart and on this terrible losing streak, I think this continues next week. I think MJF ends up winning this with Wardlow's help, and maybe that is going to be, um, yeah, Wardlow getting involved somehow to to help MJF. We'll okay. see. Sure. And then MJF has a ring to to wear around and attack people with. Ooh. Chris Jericho, Jake Hager are out next. They've been plugging. Jericho had a big announcement to make. He says he was fined for his tantrum last week, and he struggles to apologize. Every time he goes to say the word, he can't say it. So he gets Jake Hager to say it. So every time that Jericho had to reiterate his apology, he would put the mic over to Jake Hager to have to say, apologize, and Jake Hager, um, he deserves a win on his record because he was he was battling himself to keep a straight face during this segment. He was, yeah. yeah he was it was, he was about to lose it. It was <laughs> very funny to watch Jake Hager. I couldn't even pay attention to Jericho because I was just watching um, Jake Hager auditioning for Silent Library. He says, next week in Chicago, he's going to get his thank you from the higher ups and executives. And he puts over all of the Chicago sports franchises as to why he's doing that next week and not here in Indianapolis. And it's going to be Chris Jericho's Thanksgiving thankful celebration, which will feature games, prizes, an aquarium, and maybe some clowns. Clowns? Oh, okay. I wonder who who, who could you dress up to play clowns? Um, Jericho. Uh, Doink. He he dressed up as Doink. Oh time. yeah, you're right. He has done that. Are you, so are you referring to somebody else? No, no, no. I was just thinking of a way that they could, um, you know, have some okay. fun and the clowns are revealed to be, uh, I, don't, I don't know who. SCU comes out. Scorpio Sky compliments him for apologizing, but didn't mention why he threw that tantrum last week because it was him who gave Jericho his first AEW loss. It was one of Sky's greatest nights of his life. He partied all weekend. His DMs are blowing up and his high school crush, Melanie Parsons, is going out with him next week. He said he never meant to embarrass Jericho. Jericho cuts him off saying, you didn't embarrass me. 
And I've seen Wendy or Melanie Parsons, and she's gained a lot of weight since high school. And Sky responds, I like big butts, and I cannot lie. Really? That's her Mix-A-Lot quoted on AEW in 2019. Good back and forth and good comebacks. I was waiting for Jericho to say, well, your other brothers can't deny that I am the superior wrestler. Excalibur actually said it. Oh, did he? Yeah. He I always finished. miss uh, a lot of Excalibur's lines. Yeah. Well, good for him. He was way ahead of things. Um, Jericho is going to have a singles match with him next week. And then Christopher Daniels says, well, we can't do it immediately. We need one to two months to prepare for this. So Jericho says, well, it's going to be next week. And Kazarian then says, well, make sure it's not a title shot. Um, and they trick Jericho into making it a title match. Um Man, they really outsmarted him. Oh, man. You know what? Like, I think this reverse psychology bit was, is was like, could have been like the stupidest grade school level routine that would have just bombed on this wrestling show. But I thought Jericho did such a good job with it that it worked and worked with this crowd. And by the end of it, it felt exactly, it, it, it did exactly what it was intended to do. Sky says that maybe Jericho doesn't think he has a chance, but maybe he's been waiting 15 plus years for this and he's going to make Le Champion Le Bitch. He sounded great. Like, you know, throughout this entire segment, Sky's kind of being his usual, being the elite self, very casual, like fun loving, joking around. And then the moment where Jericho confirmed the match and shook his hand, Sky pulls him in and just gives this deadly serious look like he's been. Waiting 15 years for this and closing with the la bitch line. I Sky like felt like a main eventer here. You know, he he felt like someone absolutely deserving of the spotlight next week. This is a great television match for next week. And I think it's what what I like about AEW, and this is again where I might in I'm given the benefit of the doubt here to see what they do with this Billy Gunn thing, is that rather than we tune in next week and they just announce out of nowhere. It's Jericho versus Scorpio Sky, and no one's. It's just a cold match. You don't have any faith in Sky winning, and it's all on them to allow the match to make you care and believe that Sky can win, as opposed to, well, everyone knows what the outcome is here, or at least they believe they know what the outcome is here, but they are going to give someone something so that it's not just a straight up um, predictable outcome. There's there's doubt. That is cast in that direction. And I think they somewhat achieved that with Scorpio Sky. I don't think anyone's expecting him to win this title next week. But I think that they have at least um, made him a credible challenger. Completely. In the span of two weeks. You know, they... He'll always be the first guy to have beaten Jericho in AEW. Like, that will always be something that is attached to him. And that should always be referenced every now and then. It elevates SCU themselves. And I think anytime you are ready to flip that switch with Scorpio Sky to turn him into a full-time single star, you can already do that because you're establishing him to to great effect uh, right now. But then uh, the rest of the inner circle comes out and they all attack... SCU, it's five on three. They handcuff them. Uh, Sky is hit with the Judas effect. And then Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy run out. They get dumped. And then Luchasaurus comes in. Everyone bails, except for Jake Hager, who stares down with Luchasaurus, but then ultimately leaves. And I think Hager threw his watch into the crowd. Really? That's what it looked like. A cheap watch, or? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so, too. 
Um, so yeah, hinting at something there with Luchasaurus and Jake Hager as well. Cool. Yeah, it was nice. It's nice to see the two big guys together. Um, really good segment, I thought. You know, I thought Jericho was very good. Sky was very good. I'm excited for this match next week. Uh, and Luchasaurus then took on Peter Avalon, and they explained that's why Luchasaurus was there. He was getting ready for his match, and this line was awesome. Jim Ross put over how unselfish Luchasaurus was to come out and help his teammates and help SCU, and in turn, he sacrificed his entrance and his pop to save them. Wow. I thought that line was just awesome. He, the man, The man gave up his pop in order to come out and save SCU. Even though he got quite a pop when he came out, regardless of not having his music. True charity right there. That That is, it's the season of giving. And Luchasaurus gave up his pop for the greater good. Huh. Um, just a quick match. Avalon cut a promo on him saying he's going to turn him into motor oil, you fossil. There and were, Yeah. Sorry, please. Oh, that's, go ahead. Oh. Like it just, it felt like there was very little uh, physicality from Luchasaurus. And, 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 you know, I'm including last week's sort of awkward run into where he looked definitely a lot slower than usual and coupled with him not doing a whole lot in this week either. I wonder I'm sure his hamstring, like a hamstring, yeah. that's a nagging injury to come back from, even if it's just a partial injury. So, I mean, a partial if, tear, I guess, like if he's still recovering, why the insistence to bring him back before he could be 100 percent doing even something like this squash match? Well, dinosaurs can't sell injuries for too long. They've got to be. I guess so. That that was always yeah. the story was that that 2006 Great American Bash pay-per-view when you had the rash of guys that all got pulled because we had the elevated liver enzymes. And one of the guys that got pulled was Great Kali. And that was the story was that Vince McMahon was, you know, all this news got out. But the one he was pissed about was Great Kali because he can't be seen as having like a human condition. Okay, yeah, I guess. It would be like The Undertaker, you know, um, being out due to a torn hamstring. That was his mentality. I Maybe, guess. yeah, at a time. But, yeah, um, you know, I I don't know. If, he, if he's not 100%, I agree. I don't think you need to be necessarily pushing it. Uh, just make sure the guy's 100% and don't risk further injuring anything. But they kept us to 28 seconds. He lifted him up in this pile driver position and then slammed him on his chest for the quick win. Yeah, I'm guessing, you know, they have a lot in store for Luchasaurus, and maybe he, the guy himself probably didn't want to step out for too long. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he'll be ready in time for whatever match they're trying to promote with him next. Uh, the tribute match for Matt Travis was next, so Santana and Ortiz against Private Party. Uh, Excalibur did a great job of explaining who Matt Travis was, how Santana and Ortiz uh, pretty much brought him in to train Um and and get him off the streets, and then Travis had a hand in helping train Private Party as well as the connection to all four men. So hmm. the match begins. Um, Santana and Ortiz came out with Matt Travis T-shirts, and then Private Party also had one that they draped on the rope. Um, we start off, and they get the advantage on Mark Quinn early, and for a long period. There was a delayed suplex where Quinn got handed off from Santana to Ortiz. Then they removed Quinn's jacket, and Ortiz brought back... The back rake. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's scratching your nails down someone's back. I think always an underrated tactic for a heel. I mean, Phantasmo has been kind of making like the whole bullet club do it. Right. 
Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, there was a Cabrada onto Santana by Isaiah Cassidy after he finally got the hot tag. He leaped into a code red and Paul Turner goes to count one, two, and then he's looking to the floor and I guess Santana was supposed to interrupt this. Then the announcers are trying to figure this out and they explain, well, Ortiz wasn't the legal man, but Ortiz kept wrestling here and then he tagged Santana in. So this was just all on different pages. Uh, no idea what happened here. It totally messed up the momentum of the match. And I totally. don't know if they ever really recovered after this. No, and- I thought I thought this was a real struggle. Um, you know, it was it was a long sequence of having the heat on Quinn. And then this with the, the breakup not occurring. I think that just threw everything off. Um, Quinn was selling his back so they couldn't hit silly string. And then Santana grabs the slapjack. But Nick Jackson runs down to pull it away. They took advantage of Santana and pinned him after hitting the gin and juice. Um, and then Private Party um, gets the win. So they have wins now over Ortiz and Santana and the Young Bucks. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this match, um, it, it kind of disappointed me. It disappointed me too. And, then, you know, let's just say that, like, that's no sled at all. And I think the intent behind the match, it's incredibly, um, like, honorable that they're using this. I, I, thought it was, I thought it was wonderful that this company yeah. did this. That, Absolutely. It, that put uh, a spotlight on someone that let's be honest uh, many companies they just wouldn't have acknowledged an independent wrestler passing away and mm. they did and i give them a lot of credit for doing that and you know that that is completely ineffective at all by maybe what we thought of the match itself but i agree with you i thought the match itself was a little bit disappointing most of it felt like it took place within a commercial but what we did see on tv wasn't really much the issue the really weird issue with the legal man I mean, these problems just make this this product look really amateur and just adds to the list of problems that are that have been plaguing this like tag team division with the referees this entire several short run. Like I can I feel like there's way too many of these issues that we can list for like a nine week, eight week stretch. So, I, I you know, as a result, I feel like everything at the end here kind of fell flat, including the post-match angle. Yeah, you, you brought up the point. They had two commercial breaks during this match, so that that hurt things for me as well. The right. two commercial breaks, uh, like that's really tough when you have one. They had two to deal with, and it's not like this was the longest match in the world either. Um, Dustin Rhodes then ran in and he attacked everyone with his cast. Sammy Guevara was in and got hit with a Manhattan, Manhattan drop in midair off of springboard, and it was Nick Jackson, Private Party, and Dustin Rhodes celebrating in the ring after clearing the inner circle members uh, away. So potential eight man tag, maybe um, mm-hmm. that we could be going with here. Yeah. I, I Sometimes I have trouble like reminding myself, Oh, who's, why are these guys like banding together? And I, I remember, Oh, everybody hates the inner circle and these people are in the inner circle. So is that the reason why here we got Nick Jackson? They, they established, I mean, obviously Dustin's got the ties to uh, Nick Jackson and private party came out to help them last week uh, during the, or yeah, last week during that, that whole brawl. So you you had established a link between them, right? Because Dustin is Cody's friend, and Cody's friends with the 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 Young Bucks, and Private Party helped the Young Bucks. And okay, cool. They announced for next week at the Sears Center in Chicago, uh, Hangman Page versus MJF for the the ring. Cody returns. Kenny Omega versus Pac in a rematch from All Out, and Chris Jericho, Scorpio Sky for the AEW title. I mean, I feel like we have a full show already announced. You know, um, and, and as such, like, I mean, it looks like a stack card and therefore almost feels like it's a little mini pay-per-view on TV. So I'm very excited for that one. Yeah. That, you know, for the Sears Center, that's a big building for them. It's like, you know, their unofficial home building and you're getting an AEW title match. You're getting a Kenny Omega match. 
Um, probably a big segment with Cody as well. So I'm sure next week they're going to promote it as a really big show. Only thing they're missing, a old WCW pay-per-view name attached to it. Oh, yeah. Um, well, they didn't really have a Thanksgiving-themed uh, name. Yeah, that would usually be how. What's the November show? WCWs? Yeah. Well, World War Three they changed for um <laughs> because there was the fear there would be a World War Three. So that became <laughs> mayhem. Um I mean originally like Starcade was the Thanksgiving show in November. Right, right. But then they moved it to December. You can't really use that one. Uh no, no. Starcade they're gonna be doing a Starcade in a couple of weeks, but it will be WWE's version on the network. Um Okay, then we went to this segment of Kenny Omega in the weight room. And he is struggling to bench press this bar that barely has any weight on it. And Michael Nakazawa is spotting him. He gets up and he says he's not known as a promo guy. He's also not known as a hardcore guy. But the fans are seeing him do strange things that are uncharacteristic. He's lost his marbles. And it's all because he lost a pack at All Out. And he has the chance to press press the reset button next week and beat pack. And it's his path to redemption that starts next week. So then he lays back down and he tells Nakazawa to put on more weight. So he took, takes another like five pound uh, plate. plate and only wants one on one side. And then he struggles to lift this. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with Kenny Omega, but this is not working. This is not, this is, it's like they have made Kenny Omega just feel like a guy right now. And that is not something that they should be doing. Like this goofball stuff is just, I don't know. I think you're, you're letting what was intended to be just sort of a, I don't know, bit of a comedic frame around this otherwise very serious promo, perhaps, you know, maybe, um, take over perhaps the, the, your opinion of, of the actual segment itself. And, and that's a fair criticism, you know, did, did comedy, you know, which I think Kenny and Michael Nakazawa from their DDT uh, roots perhaps are, are, are known for and want to kind of rekindle. Does it have a place in the body of a show like this, where you're trying to, you know, have Kenny Omega cut a serious promo. And let me just say, I thought the promo itself, I really liked it. It was nice and simple. Gives us a reason for the match next week. He's talking about how, he, he's blaming this dissent all on the loss to pack, and he wants to you know rectify that so that he can get on the the straight path again. It's it was a good promo from Kenny when he's serious. I think it's great. Um, the words I, were fine. The presentation was terrible. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair criticism. Is there a place for this kind of laughable you know haha anywhere on the show? I think in in Kenny's mind, like as he said, he will do whatever he he feels like doing, and sometimes I think he just feels like dressing you know, these straight wrestling promos with a bit of comedy for entertainment purposes might not work for everybody. I, it, it didn't bother me that much. You know, I just saw it as just sort of like a little aside um, that didn't take away from the, the seriousness of the promo itself, but I can understand your, your criticism. Yeah. I, I just, I, I just don't think it it's, it's working at all. I think people are like, pretty, I don't think it's the intent though. Like don't let this little you know, five pound plate thing feel like it's a direction for the character when I think it was just meant to be a little joke. Well, I, I, I don't know. It just seemed like your intent of this promo was to be a serious promo about getting back to where you were before. And to me, it was just complete. I just don't know why you have to 
I don't know. Just that, that's how I wants to be entertaining. It's well, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to be entertained. John Moxley, Darby Allen, main event. Allen is carried out in a body bag with Mox written on top of the body bag. They did this cool video with him um, on a stage, man, being placed into the body bag and then crowd surfing in a body bag. So this dude over the week weekend, he skated to some concert carrying. <laughs> a Mox body bag, then proceeded to get on stage, had the band put him into the body bag where he just proceeded to crowd surf in a body bag and shot it all to present before his match. It was like... Um, Dude, I think this guy's fantastic. Everyone's see, talking about like Jungle Boy being the one that's going to bring this young audience. Mm. I'm putting all my chips on Darby Allen. Oh, I, I think see, this guy's going to be a breakout I star. I see way more... I mean, I think he's already there. The man has had, you know, title yeah. matches with the Chris Jericho. I, I, I definitely sense a lot more. Um, like John, Jungle Boy is maybe like a two-year, three-year, maybe even four-year type of, you know, um, potential. But Darby Allen's already there. Like he already feels like this, the first AEW, I would say, made star to to come out of like the post Dynamite era. So, uh, like he he feels like someone that his core audience is way younger than me, and it's and. It's very rare, I think, that we have wrestling characters that are going to appeal to, you know, just – and it doesn't turn off any other audiences either. But I think that this is someone that I think he really connects with, like, a teenage audience that are – I think, like, this is someone that looks really cool. He's totally different. He's got this really unique charisma about him that is the furthest thing from manufactured. I think it connects with with everybody, but yeah, I, I you know maybe the elusive demographic is the are those that are younger, and I don't know. It remains to be seen. Um, there were multiple people in this crowd, like with his makeup on. Yes, men and there was women. There's a kid in there Kids. that they cut to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Moxley enters through the crowd, and as he hops the guardrail, Allen launches to the floor with this suicide dive, and they begin brawling into the crowd. They come back. Allen gets driven into the post and takes his belly to belly on the floor. They finally get into the ring, so the match officially begins. Allen comes off the top, bounces off of Moxley, who just stands there after Allen leaps off the turnbuckle. Um, there's a picture-in-picture break. Moxley continues to beat him down, uses a cloverleaf, and then Allen gets out and he attacks Moxley's hand, which he proceeded to sell for the rest of the match, including trying to get Bryce Remsburg to adjust his fingers. Yeah, great. Looked really cool. Um, Allen uh, falls down off of the top. He gets knocked down by Moxley. Then Moxley gets the body bag and gets hit with a dive through the ropes. And there's a lariat by Moxley. He puts Darby into the body bag, but Bryce Remsburg comes to save him and uh, unzips the bag. I thought they were going to do the whole thing with the body bag. Like, I thought they were going to do spots with it, but here, it was just like punches and kicks, so, I don't know, maybe they're saving the body bag stuff for later. Allen goes over Moxley's shoulder into a stunner, then gets hit with a spinning side slam. The paradigm shift is countered, and they're expect they're explaining that with Moxley's fingers injured, it was hard for him to get the grip. Uh, code red for a two-count by Allen. Then Allen leaps off the top for the coffin drop right into a rear naked choke. But Allen flips on top of Moxley and there was a dramatic near fall here where this audience thought that Darby Allen was going to pin this guy. Moxley then bites his forehead and hits this avalanche paradigm shift off the turnbuckle that looked vicious. 
and pins Darby Allen. Uh, this was like a hell of an intense main event. You know, like, actually, the final minutes when they only had like ten minutes left in the broadcast, I didn't know how they how how great of a match these two could have crammed in there. But like, man, for ten min ten minutes, this was a really great TV main event. It was consistently entertaining, and from the get go, Darby Allen just rushing in with that like like just great really fast like uh uh suicide dive immediately sucked you right into the match his offense just looks so fast and they look so good it really makes you want to cheer for him if you're watching a heel beat him down and i think moxley who you know ended up playing the the larger man here and essentially the heel he was very like a lot of fun to watch as well because he he didn't rely on chin locks he kept the the pace slower than darby allen's but it was still very exciting so, man, I thought both men's personalities really came across as well here. And by the end, I thought I became a bigger fan of them both. Yeah, I almost want like a convoluted storyline where it finds out these two are like brothers. Um, It would be that it would be maybe like I think they would make Darby Allen like, you know, um, like uh, hit like from the past or something like they make him a real ghost, perhaps. Um. Or maybe he's half a ghost. That's why he, paints. he comes back to life to haunt MJF. Um, sure. Or maybe he's like a conjoined twin, uh, and one of the twins died in the womb, and that's why he paints his half half of his face like a skeleton. Okay, okay. You you've thought deep about this. My only gripe, I would say, was that like I didn't feel like we had enough time here to focus on the story of the loser, and that's because you know they just they fought right until like ten ten p.m. and they hit that finish like perfectly on time. But I, you know, I hope maybe next week we get more of a follow up for, with Darby Allen because, um, you know, he he had to lose here. Of course, um, I didn't really see him needing the win over John Moxley at all. But by the end of this loss, because we just went off uh, of the broadcast, he kind of felt like a dismissible afterthought. When I think the loss could have been slightly mitigated with a bit more narrative thrown towards Darby Allen. But hopefully, we'll get some of that next week. Uh, so looking at this show um, compared to NXT, which had the promise of all the, uh, of you know, all the surprises showing up at NXT and, you know, pretty much establishing like a theme of like pretty much every segment, a new person popping up. Um, do you think this is the week NXT wins? Because I, I think that there's a pretty good shot NXT wins this week. So who are the names that actually showed up? I don't even know all of them. I don't have the whole list in front of me. Um, Becky Lynch started off the show. Uh, Ricochet was in the second segment. You had the pre previously announced um, Revival, who did the match with uh, Red Dragon. And I'll look up the list here. But um, just in terms of uh, this week, like, do you feel like this is – do you have a feeling one way or the other? I'm going to – yeah, I'm going to say NXT maybe wins this one. I'm going to say they win this one, yeah. I think they structured it well. Like, just I, I watched the first half hour of NXT, and it was like they were pretty much like structuring it that you would not want to tune out because someone new is showing up, and the audience was going nuts when when Becky showed up, when Ricochet showed up. Yeah. Um, and, and on over on AEW, like I mean, this was a good. I enjoyed this episode of AEW, but it, it was hardly a spectacular edition of AEW where they promoted a lot of great matches or, or segments that you had to see. Are you hearing this? damn printer in the background yes i'm really sorry about it like for, for some reason my printer decides to clean itself like right at 11 o'clock or like always at this time i don't know how to reprogram it so apologies my my printer's um taking a it's shower not taking a shower Na Na nakamura was on the show the viking raiders were on the show okay um yeah so anyway it's um 
you know, it, it's they structured it like a week where you can do all these surprises. Um, that's that's really good for holding people's attention. So I'm I'm feeling NXT wins this one, but it's because if they don't, I think it would be terribly disappointing. You know, cramming all of these like you know, um, I would say bigger bigger name stars onto a show and not ha- beating it. I, I guess I think the question is, how much do you think it beats it? I think it'll be um I don't feel either show is gonna hit a million tomorrow. But I think that NXT I, I think it's going to be within I'll say within seventy five thousand viewers. Yeah, I don't necessarily I wonder I wonder how much AEW drops. I think that'll be interesting to see, you know, because like we've seen even like maybe uh in really great, maybe hyped editions of AEW Dynamite. NXT doesn't really drop that much. You know, they, they kind of stay constant at a certain level. But if it was the other way around, would more people tune out of AEW to watch NXT? rather, Or, or will NXT's number be largely consisted of Raw and SmackDown viewers? You know, if, if NXT doesn't do a million viewers, that's very telling. Like, that to me would be, like, yes, you might outdo AEW. But for the promise of... Anyone from Raw and SmackDown showing up on this show, uh, you can only play that card so many times. I would say you can't play it for another year. And yeah, and you not hit a million viewers with that promise. Uh, that kind of tells you that you know they're kind of going to be at their at their level because you're not going to be able to draw from this. And again, I think the more important story is okay. NXT does whatever it does tomorrow. How is that number viewed? Because if they get the uh, fulfillment of finally beating AEW and they had to go to the well for all these names to come on the show, what do you do next week? And do you have that addiction to try and mix more main roster talent in or do you stick to your plan? Like they keep saying this is this is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. And like that's almost become the catchphrase for NXT to the point that I think AEW should really utilize that and go the opposite way and like the market themselves. Imagine the Bucks win like just this awesome match on TV and look into the camera and say, "No, it's a sprint," and they just make <laughs> that their line and they they market the fact that they are the sprint and the other guys are the ones that are power walking. I, I think they'd be very smart mm. because that 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 line has been so associated by it. That's the talking point from NXT. I feel like that type of like you know I don't know uh, snide reference it it works on bte and i think it worked at a time when they were simply wrestlers and not employees of a company i i think some stuff like that you know look at like cody and the throne and, and some of the negative backlash that received i feel like stuff like that might be a little bit you know uh below beneath them it would it would basically kind of downgrade them to a certain level that i don't know if they need to i, I right think now. the large there will be some people that will criticize it but if the Tony Khan, Randy Orton thing was any indication. The vast majority love this stuff. They love mm. the barbs being back and forth. And I think people will always go nuts for stuff like that because they want to believe that these two sides hate one another. Yeah. And there are certainly ways you could do it. Um, I I don't know. The, 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 will they continue doing like, you know, making WWE and like FTR type of type of references? I'm not sure. Not sure. Um, but, you know, going back to what you're saying, I I feel like it'll be interesting to see how NXT sustains, I think, this type of integration between Raw and SmackDown, if they do, in fact, really benefit from it. Because 
I think they had a, a reason to do all of this today, given that NXT has a big role at Survivor Series. But beyond it, if this works, will they continue to find storyline reasons to get, you know, a Becky Lynch on NXT? Or, and, and it's somewhat diminishing returns. Like you have the novelty yeah. of it this week that, you know, six weeks from now, Shinsuke Nakamura showing up, it's okay. We, we know what the playbook is now and it, yeah. it stops being special. Like ultimately it's, you have to get this thing over with your, your NXT core and create those stars and with mm-hmm. their, their stories as well. This is, this, yeah. this is kind of just a, mm-hmm. a one week you know, but, but I mean, you can do, but it's an effective one. And I think they were smart to do it this week. It doesn't hurt to have more eyeballs sampling your product, even though they might not be here necessarily for you in the first place. You know, uh, the more people giving your product a chance for whatever reason, maybe they are Becky Lynch fans. I mean, if that was the case, I feel like they should have announced some of this stuff anyway, but whatever. It's fine. Like, um, oh, Be- Becky announced it on Twitter at seven o'clock. Way. Oh, OK. Yeah. Then all of her fans must have known. So yep. anyway, but um. You know, it's we'll see how it affects it. I have yet to watch the episode, so I can't really comment on it. But we will do that tomorrow on the on the hangout. Yes, Davian Braden will be with us uh, on the hangout three o'clock Eastern Thursday for all cafe members. But let's go to our feedback and see what everyone had to say about tonight's episode of AEW Dynamite. Starting off with our poll. Wait, do you want to give us the results? Eight point one one out of ten. A plus in Canada. Do you know that? Like our A pluses, or at least like when I was young, I don't, I th- this is, this might've changed by now. I thought an but. A was 80% or higher. Oh, what sorry. You're a, right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. What a. was an A? I, I never knew if a plus was actually uh, a num- a numerical number. Would a 90% or higher be a, a plus? You know, I guess I don't know if we ever actually had plus or minuses. I don't, I don't even think I had. I, I don't think I ever got pluses or minuses. I think I just got, you got, th- there was a time you would get letters. And then yeah. I remember on my report cards, I just got a strict percentage so i got letters but they were like a whole different set of letters like one was s was satisfactory e might have been like excellent or something and n was not satisfactory so i would i was proud to say i was a pretty straight s student do you remember Uh, getting report cards and you'd get like in each subject the teacher would have to write comments and i always remember because my mom was a teacher and she would always, like, come report card season, I would just watch her, like, have to spend every weekend doing report cards, and she would always talk about, like, the amount of time they took. And it wasn't until oh, yeah. you and I had to start doing these postcards and writing them out that I could not imagine. <laughs> we should be start, We should start sending report cards for all of our people. To our listeners, yes, we yeah. can grade them. Yeah. How good of a listener are you out yeah. there? Oh, I, I would love to do that. Uh, but, man, imagine for... You know, oh, class yeah. size, I, I remember in eighth grade, I was in a class of 35 people. So our teacher had to write 35 report cards with comments for whatever it was, four subjects each per student, 35 times four. Can you imagine writing all that stuff out? And I, my teachers always wrote it out mainly like like long form or I mean, longhand. That's what I'm going for. I mean that's the system, isn't it? You know what you you can do it but computerized, but right. That was. But I mean, what more... what what would be be a more effective way of you know conveying what a teacher thought of a student? I'm just saying it's a lot of work. I, I you know they I, should they should make selfie videos now. Forget report cards, just like pop pop on like an Instagram selfie, and you could just or tweets. Like we should contain reports in tweets. I would just come up to them. I'd say, hey, you got five minutes. Dude, your math is atrocious. You are struggling very badly. Uh, 
English, not so bad. It's, you know, you've got a firm grasp of the literary works of Charles Dickens. And Jim, uh, you can shoot a basketball. Doing great. I mean, they do have like teacher teacher parent meetings. You yeah, know, they, they, uh, teachers had to do that on top of that. They had to write all these report cards, and yes. then there were parent teacher interviews, dude. Like, that's uh, a lot of work on top of teaching. You know, teaching is a very valuable job. Yeah, my mom, my mom was a teacher as well, so um, I recognize how much work it is and how important it is. But you know what? There are a lot of really tough jobs out there. Yeah, like this. Oh, we got it easy. You kidding me? How about we go to Paul from New Jersey, see what he had to say about Dynamite. In the past, I haven't been the biggest Young Bucks fan, but that opener was tremendous. Best part, somebody won and somebody lost. Can't say that about the NXT opener. Yeah, they did Becky Lynch and Rhea Ripley in the opener, and it ended... I think you could have three seconds of thought, and how do you think this match ended, Way? No contest. Right? The Shayna Baszler, Jessamyn Duke, and Marina Shafir run-in led to a no contest. It didn't turn into a tag team match or, you know, no, we had just, a, the, the baby faces fought off the heels. Well, at least we had a Becky. no contest. Like they got to the point now where just Hunter coming in is enough to just not even give you a satisfying finish. So that's right. Shayna could have grabbed the microphone and that could have been a, a more awkward ending. But um, this loss won't affect Nick Jackson in the least in terms of making money and staying relevant. Kevin Nash was always a name that popped up, but he can never move over for the one Billy Gunn. I just watched Billy Gunn in a match in the year 2019, and I loved it. The spot between he and Cassidy was fun. Props to the crowd who make the shows feel big. Jericho doing the apology bit with Hager had me howling. Another terrific show, eight and a half. Does Britt Baker have bad luck with these injuries, or does she, or is she simply out of place, referring to the bloody nose? I mean, I think she just took a strike to the face. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's if that's how it happened, I mean, not a whole lot you can do to prepare for that. Got a Brandon from Oshawa who says, I realize tonight why I prefer AEW over NXT. Being in Canada, if I want to watch NXT tonight, I have to seek it out online. I don't. I wait until it comes on the network. However, if the roles were reversed and I had to seek out AEW, I would do so. The reason being, I feel like the hours I watch are going to give me something in return. I hear a lot of praise for Undisputed Era and Revival tonight. I'm sure it was a great match. It might be my favorite match of the week when I watch it. What happens now? Revival just goes back to the main roster and it means nothing. Meanwhile, last week I was, wasn't that into Scorpio Sky pitting Chris Jericho. All they did was come out tonight and make me want to see that title match next week. I love Moxley and Darby. Was it a great technical bout like I'm sure we'll see on NXT? No, but it was a damn fun brawl and both guys are super over and I know that I can look forward to more with those guys. NXT can have all the great matches they want if their stars are just going to go on to do nothing. Why should I care or put in the effort? I don't know if I really agree with that assessment of of nxt i think this week with a revival match i think you're seeing dude more... honestly compare looking at the two lineups tonight it's really hard to co- complain about either show like, yeah but i mean two really solid shows you get on wednesday night but to paul's point about maybe like revival versus other spirit speeded are not turning into something bigger i mean this is like sort of a crossover season that I would consider this more of just a specialty show rather than like anything else. But you see storylines being built often, you know, especially again, uh, this women's division where I think like we're talking about Dakota Kai who, you know, after um, not being selected for a team and even after losing some matches, like she's gone on to get a whole storyline. So I think you see great instances of like story storytelling in both um, products on Wednesdays. But, you know, you could certainly have your preferences. 
the uh, the big appearance at the end was Seth Rollins on NXT for those um, that maybe want to know as well. Um, uh, uh, another thing too, Sportsnet 360 had like this advertising out tonight, and they were promoting NXT for tomorrow night on the station instead of um, usually it airs Friday night. So still one hour. I believe so, because I went to the schedule. The schedule still lists Thursday night, a uh, one-hour slot for WWE experience. So I'm I'm assuming maybe they're moving NXT up a day, but it's still the edited version. But I did ask Sportsnet. They didn't get back to me. But that um, they were sending out, like, email blasts and stuff, and that was in the, um, the graphic for Thursday. They were promoting tomorrow night okay. at 7. I don't think it's a bad move if they – if they could, if they could turn it to two hours, I think that would actually work out really well for um, Canadians. But then again, you could just watch it on the network at that point too, right? Because it goes go up on the network when at like ten o'clock on Thursday nights. I, I think it's. I don't know. I th- I've never watched it on the network the, the day after. The way they have it structured now, though, putting it on Fridays before SmackDown, along with main event. Not that I think anybody you know sticks around for for that long, but it's like. I don't know if I'd want to even watch NXT right before SmackDown, making that a three-hour block. Three hours of wrestling really is a lot to digest. Uh, I mean, four hours is a lot to digest if you're somebody who watches NXT and SmackDown and then main event. But, um, yeah, I wonder if it'll do better. All right, we uh, continue on here with feedback, and we go to Noah from Vaughn. Another solid edition of Dynamite. Incredible opener by, uh, he says, Matt. It was Nick and Phoenix. Love the Dark Order vignette, and I thought the women's match was very good. Sheeta is phenomenal. Once again, the star of the show was the crowd. Enough cannot be said about how much AEW has benefited from such hot crowds. Yeah, that's it's always a solid part of these shows is the audience that are into these, and I think that adds a ton of energy. When do you think that'll end? I mean, you know, full gear aside. Um, and, you know, from all reports of people that were there, they said that the crowd sounded really good live. So, But, like, this level of... AEW crowd, do you think it sticks around a year from now? I think that as long as it's a product that they they view these, you know, it's it feels like a like a hot show right now. These are characters they're really into. I like I don't see, see a timeline when this is all of a sudden going to um diminish. I mean, you go back to some of those ECW crowds and yes, mm-hmm. some would vary, but it was a pre- pretty consistent Part of those shows were those those hot crowds that were into that product. So I mean, it's on the company. Obviously, if it's if they present a product that turns people off, it's going to be reflected in how engaged the crowd is. But thus far, that's it's a great selling feature for these shows. Like they just feel that much better. And I'll, I'll say right now that um, those Windsor tapings from Impact very hard to get through those episodes because it's the complete opposite. And it's just you're. Like the the crowd is just so down throughout these shows, it makes a right. huge difference. We got a Hagaki who says best episode of Dynamite so far. This crowd was hot. The opener was great and set a good tone. Everything seemed to be paced well about the Burt Baker match, even though I missed a little bit of it. He says I think they will eventually get the Dark Order over. Ten out of ten. Jake writes, uh, tonight was another fantastic show with a lot of good to great wrestling, continuing to establish feuds, building well to next week, setting up Sheeta as a title contender, and continuing to change up the recipe on a weekly basis. I haven't been fond of Britt Baker recently, as I think she's still green, but tonight she really put forward the work with great intensity with her best performance on AEW to date so far. The downside for me tonight is that the truck needs to stop cutting to close-ups of fans after big moves or kickouts. You miss a lot of important spots each time you do this, and you get... Absolutely no benefit from it. 
I think it's great that Cody and Omega decided to take this week off as you don't have to see every top star all the time. A nine out of ten show. Um, do you do you have numbers for the the pay per view? So, um, uh, Dave Meltzer was reporting it in the range of ninety to a hundred thousand buys. So that would be, uh, not to, it. It would be uh, for all out. All out was around a hundred. Right. So it could finish right around the same as all out. So there there was no growth. Like the this time on TNT did not um inflate their foundation that they were already coming to the table with. Any any takeaways maybe from Uh I mean I don't have a theory as to why they haven't increased um I only ask cuz you know what what uh here um what is it Jake from was bringing up was you know the fact that Cody and Kenny I mean much of at least my own curiosity heading into uh, uh, Double or Nothing, uh, any of those shows, was that I could only see these guys wrestle in prominent matches mm-hmm. like once every couple months, you know, uh, four times this year. But now I could see it every single week. And thus, do I have as much incentive to pay $50? I mean, I am a fan and I'm also somebody who covers it, of course, for a living. But let's say I'm just a casual fan who was very curious about what this AEW stuff looked like. I've heard so much about the Bucks or Kenny Omega. Uh, I might sample this thing for the first few times. Is that curiosity still there when you could see them every single week? I think that the idea of just great wrestling, I I think that's only going to appeal to a certain level of people. And I think those people are buying your pay-per-views. I think that ultimately what's going to grow this uh, product is going to be stories and stars. And I think that they, they do have stars at the moment, which I, I really thought that this pay-per-view would be, I, I didn't sense that this was going to be some home run that it was going to do 200,000 buys, but I did think it was going to, because the Cody Jericho thing was built up very, very effectively you think naturally the fact that they're on TV, you're exposed to a wider amount of people that it's generally been well-received shows. And you can look at it from the side that they were starting off at a pretty high mark to begin with when you're talking about, mm-hmm. yep. you know, roughly, it, to be honest, like if WWE was still on pay-per-view today, I would venture to guess that last Hell in a Cell pay-per-view or uh, Crown Jewel, I don't know how much above 100000 they would be doing for their pay-per-views uh, with significantly more television viewership at that point. So, mm-hmm. I mean, 100,000 is, to me... is really good when you consider that how many people watch the show in total. Like, like that conversion rate is very it's healthy. like close to 10%, which is excellent. Um, so, yes, yes, that's not taken away from, from that. But the idea that you could... But, but naturally, TV, you, would, you would look at where we're starting off. We know this is our base number for pay-per-view, that being on TNT, you would think that more people would be watching it. And hopefully... If the television is doing its job, more people at the end of that cycle wanting to spend money on the pay-per-view. And like I don't I don't really have like a solid answer because I really don't think the TV was uh, bad or discouraging people from it. But I mean the numbers are the numbers. It didn't increase their pay-per-view level, at least this time around. We'll mm-hmm. see what the – whatever their next pay-per-view is, which um, they have not announced a date yet, but sometime in the first quarter. We go to Gerard, who says, "Great show, good mix of angles and in-ring action." But here's my issue: Britt Baker still looks green in a lot of ways in Private Party, while amazing in a spot fest. Still have a ways to go to have a good version of the kind of match they had against Santana and Ortiz tonight. This applies to others on the roster as well. Nyla Rose also does not have a massive amount of experience. For example, I really think AEW needs to find a way to get these less experienced wrestlers more experience without them having to do it weekly on national TV or even dark. 
one date a week isn't going to turn you into a great worker very quickly. I think AEW should partner with a small indie or send people to Japan to tour in some smaller promotions. I think it would be very helpful for some of the talent. P.S. Shout out to Kyohei Wada, the greatest referee of all time, on his 65th birthday today. Yes, he's going to be on All Japan Show in a couple of hours. Um, I I think that there's certainly uh, value to that. The idea that there are going to be, especially when they're signing a lot of younger guys, that, yeah, one match a week. And for most, it's it's not going to be one match every single week. It's, you know, mm-hmm. we, we see what the kind of the cycle is. It's like on one week, then maybe you're off one, then you do two in a row. But, yeah, it's for certain talent, you want them to be going out there and getting more experience and doing one date of TV, it works. Like overall, I like the fact that AEW is doing less shows because one of the positives is that every live event they run, it's important. It feels there, there are no throwaway shows from AEW. And I mean, you can, you can talk about dark, but I'm talking about the actual, you know, you buy a ticket, but even dark, even dark has value because it often, you know, I mean, they need to integrate it more, but like they, all the matches count towards whatever, record you know right. theoretically they have but it's like if you buy a ticket to go see aw it's important it's something that like you're gonna see storyline advancement you're gonna see all the stars like it's they have kept it very special it kind of reminds me when roh started that they all their shows that like people kept up to date because night they, one and night two well they got to the, those points but it was like no they i'm were, saying even night one and night two like i was yeah like they they made their shows all feel special and you had like wh he would talk about like for years he bought every show that came out because it was like the latest chapter in the book um mm. so i'm from uh, a consumer standpoint i think that their their way of going about things with w- the one show a week mm-hmm. i think it's really smart i don't think house shows are i would not be choosing to do house shows now but the downside is that for experience and for younger talent which AEW is going after you want them to be able to be getting that experience so that they can be you know get, getting getting those reps in that you can't do necessarily in a television environment all the time yeah absolutely you know in the case of somebody like Britt Baker um I don't know if like you know just getting her to do more indies at this point will, will change her that much it, it's almost like they I think they want her to be TV ready right now and they're almost I feel giving her too big of a push than maybe what she is actually ready for. Um, but nonetheless, I they certainly see enough in her to, you know, put her out there in this type of spotlight. Um, but it'll take time. I think people like Private Party, people like Britt Baker, as as long as they continue to be featured in prominent roles, you know, they're not going to learn any quicker about what it, what it's like to have a wrestling match on TV than to actually do it. So... The maybe this will just be growing pains for the first couple months. Okay, let's skip down a few here. Let's go to Alexander from Portland. After unhappily watching Heroes of Wrestling over the weekend, this palate cleanser of a show was great. Orange Cassidy's first actual match lived up to expectations. Plenty of mid-card talent got on TV, and we had a great match in the main event that ended decisively with no controversy or interference. The only thing missing was the blue brand guys beating up the yellow brand guys. What do you guys think of the idea of Jeff Hardy joining AEW when his contract expires? Do you think there would be interest in AEW's side of signing him? Tonight made me realize that Hardy and Darby could be an insane match. Uh, I I don't see... I no. think Jeff Hardy has a lot of other problems at the moment. I don't know if uh, going to AEW would be 
Um, you know, he's got that relationship. Certainly, the, um, yeah. the Hardys and the Bucks did, um, you know, a great program together. But I don't know. I'm not even thinking about Jeff Hardy wrestling right not now. Not right now. No. But I mean, a clean and sober Jeff Hardy who could demonstrate, you know, a, a lengthy track record of, of everything, you know, being good with him personally. Yeah, I think he would be great in AEW. Um, in in this, this sort of like legend kind of mentor role. Um, I think they will do a, an interesting job of t- perhaps telling a story. I mean, we've seen, though, Jeff Hardy be given a great deal of freedom, and we've seen what that can turn into. Um, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, perhaps, <laughs> are you, would you want to see uh, John, um, what did he call it? Uh, what? Tumbleweed? What was that thing? Itchweed? Oh, um, <laughs> would you want to see Itchweed in AEW? Like, are oh, we going to get Itchweed level Jeff Hardy? You yeah, know? teaming are, with Kenny Omega. Are we going to get, like, Jeff Hardy voices at his head level Jeff Hardy if he were to be given the creative freedom that he might be afforded in AEW? I don't know. I don't know, but it could, it'll could. it be interesting either way. All right, we go to uh, Carl and Cloverdale. Opener was great. Jericho promo was a good balance of funny and serious. I've not been a huge Scorpio Sky fan in the past, but AEW has done an tr- excellent job of making me care. Best thing I can say about the show is that I'm excited to see what happens next week. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for your feedback. That is going to wrap up the show. But as we mentioned, Cafe Hangout will be back Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Braden Harrington and Davey Portman will be here in studio with us. And we will be previewing the weekend ahead. We'll chat about Wednesday's NXT and then looking ahead to TakeOver Survivor Series. We've got a SmackDown show. Countless shows coming up over the next little while. Are you ready for it all way? Well, it's a very busy weekend. Yeah, we, we've got you covered in every every which way, including an episode of Thunderstruck. That's right. Uh, Thunderstruck will be dropping on Sunday, WH Park. And Matt McEwen will be chatting about... Jushin Thunder Liger, Great Muda from October of 1996. So that's uh, that's going to be coming up this weekend. Uh, lots Rewind, of great stuff. We're on to SmackDown on Saturday, Saturday afternoon. That's right. Today. That's right. We will be out Saturday this week uh, with a review of the final episode going into uh, Survivor Series. So you can check that out Saturday if you're a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe. So thanks to all of you for tuning in, and we'll speak with you Thursday at 3 o'clock.